This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Wild Olive, where we host game-changing conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible. I'm Jennifer Bird, a biblical scholar. And I'm Jean Patrol, a literature scholar. If you want to change your Bible reading game, you can try reading the Bible as literature. The way writers such as Emily Dickinson, Octavia Butler, Ursula Le Guin, James Baldwin, or Tony Kushner do. Every other week, we let modern writers give a fresh take on a familiar Bible story. Did you know that Emily Dickinson uses woman-by-the-well imagery to explore lesbian desire? (laughs) That's wild. And doesn't June Jordan use a Gospel of Matthew image to describe the civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer? Yes. And Tony Kushner's Angels in America uses apocalypse imagery to describe the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's wild. If you like conversations about the Bible that could go anywhere, tune in to Wild Olive wherever you get your podcasts. This is Wendy Giles, and I always have a second cup with Keith. It's the best part of my day. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. Um, Well, here we are. Uh, This is the end of our second year of the podcast. Uh, I actually had to check that because I, I, for some reason, had thought that I'd only been doing Second Cup with Keith for one year. But nope, turns out I've been doing this now for two years. Uh, I think our first episode was November of 2021. And so here we are, uh, finishing up. December 2022, at least as I sit here now. And um, before I jump into the topic, I guess I just wanted to start by saying thank you to everyone who has been listening to Second Cup with Keith. Whether you just recently started listening to the podcast and you need to go back and catch up, um, or whether you've been listening from the beginning, either way, I really appreciate you. I thank you for listening. I thank you for your support. And I do want to say if everyone who listened to this podcast would take the time to share it on your social media feeds, um, like it and rate it and review it on whatever platform that you use, whether that's Apple or Spotify, that would be awesome because it really helps other people, you know, find the podcast and discover um, that, uh, hey, this might be something they'd want to listen to. Uh, I also wanted to say real quick that I... Uh, I'm on TikTok now, so you can find me. It's the real Keith Giles over on TikTok, and I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter until it probably finally implodes. But until then, uh, yes, I'm also on Twitter, um, and of course, my blog is keithgiles.com. And yeah, so I guess that's that's enough uh, front matter. Let's let's jump into the actual episode. So <clears throat> um, this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. I'm currently in the process of writing a follow-up book to my most recent book, Solo Mysterium, Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything. So as I'm writing the new book, um, I came across something. Actually, I actually had written this blog post a while back, and I had forgotten all about it, but very, very serendipitously, is that a word? Um, yeah, just kind of slipped back on, in my radar. I actually wrote this like two years ago. And um, yeah, I, I totally, I think I'd actually forgotten all about it. But then when I saw it again, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is really, really fascinating. And it was perfect timing because I was really just about halfway through writing my book, my new book. And um, it's like, oh, a lot of this stuff is going to be really helpful. So, and that's the topic of our, of this episode uh, of Second Cup with Keith today, um, which is this sort of lost doctrine of deification. <clears throat> so, I want to, uh, I guess I probably should define my terms before we jump into it too deep. 
So when I say the, the doctrine of deification, what am I talking about? Well, it's essentially a doctrine. You'll see as we get deeper into it exactly what it involves. But um, it's a doctrine um, pretty early on in church history. Um, but it continued for a very long time, as we're about to see. And it was a doctrine the uh, that um, probably would be considered heretical today. Like if you walked around talking the way some of these uh, when I read some of these quotes to you from early church fathers, if you walked around saying these things today, trust me, I know because I've 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 done the I've done the experiment myself. If you were to say similar things, you would be called a heretic, and you would be you know people would say oh, you know, stay away from this guy, uh, they're a false teacher, you know they're dangerous, whatever because they're teaching false doctrines that are you know, dangerous, whatever. And so you'll, you'll see right as we get into this, what I'm talking about, but essentially it's this idea that, um, we human beings will be either, either that we will be gods, not like God, but gods, like that God's plan is to make us gods, that we will be gods like God, maybe not equal, certainly not surpassing, um, God, but we will be gods. And uh, and that's the way that's the language that was used. Um, some of them, the way they talked about this idea of deification, again, it's a essentially it's a process by which humans become gods. Um, but for some people, it's also the idea that we have we were always God, like we we are, you know, connected to God, part of God, uh, um, intertwined with God, and we're just becoming more aware of it and growing and maturing in our godhood, and we will be like God. So I know right away, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, Keith, this just sounds heretical and and fringe and and weird. And, you know, what Christian really, what Christians believe this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, I probably should start off by saying the way I came around to this uh, research, to this information, um, was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine online. His name is uh, Kenneth Tanner. He's a pastor, great guy, great thinker, and when it comes to early church fathers on the subject of the incarnation um, and this and this topic, deification, um, he's what I would I would consider an expert. He's great, just a great guy, um, and a great source of information. So he and I, uh, again, this is like two years ago, we were having a conversation on Zoom, and um, he made a comment about something that um, I had never heard before. And it led, and this conversation led to this larger topic of deification. Okay, so stick with me for a second. We're going to kind of follow the the train of thought. So what he had said to me in the conversation well, something was something that Athanasius, who was a church father, like in, uh, lived between like 296 and 373 AD. And so, um, and Athanasius is a very famous church father. He uh, was one of the people that presided over the Council of Nicaea. It was one of the people that formulated the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, he's as orthodox as you can get. Um, but by the way, also a raging universalist. <laughs> so um, you may have heard me mention Athanasius in the past in terms of quoting him when it comes to universal reconciliation. But I digress. Um, one of the other things that Athanasius said and talked about was something about how how Jesus became the Christ and how the Christ became human. Now, to start with, you have to, you have to, I think, assume um, that Jesus and Christ are not the same. 
that that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but Christ, as Paul says many times in his writings, Christ existed before the universe was created. Um, you're right, the Logos is Christ. And so the Logos was with God and was God. In the beginning, it was the Logos, and the Logos was with God and was God. Um, and then became flesh, right? So there's an, an eternal aspect of the Christ, which is pre-existent and eternal. Um, then there's a uh, sort of a temporal incarnation of Christ in Jesus that happened 2,000 years ago, right? And so the so the fascinating thing that Athanasius taught was this idea that the Christ didn't become human, wasn't fully incarnated until the crucifixion. Because until the Christ experienced dying on the cross, or just dying at all, any kind of death, the Christ had not fulfilled the cycle of human experience, which concludes for all of us uh, in the experience of death. And so until the Christ died on the cross in the body of Jesus, the Christ was not, the, the incarnation was not fully complete, okay? So it's thinking about the incarnation as a process, right? Now on the other side, on the Jesus side of things, that Jesus didn't become the Christ until the resurrection, now, by the way, that in itself, that's the, by the way, this is a different, this is a different subject, right? So you kind of get a two for one here. Um, but yeah, this idea that, that Jesus was not instantly the Christ, like in his conception or in his birth or in his, um, you know, or, or, or at the baptism. Well, by the way, some, some Christians did place, you know, Jesus becoming Christ at his baptism, um, but yeah, most early Christians saw this idea that Jesus became the Christ at the resurrection. In fact, by the way, there's a verse in the book of Acts that actually suggests that, and this is really where the verse of where, where the doctrine came from, because the way it's worded in the book of Acts, it says uh, Peter is speaking in Acts chapter two when he's giving his famous Pentecost speech, and he says, you know, this 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 um, Jesus whom you crucified, God made both Lord and Christ. So the, it's the idea that it's God who made Jesus Christ after you crucified him. So anyway, if you can just sort of visually think about this, if you if you could draw two parallel lines on a chalkboard or a whiteboard, um, you know, the top line would be Christ, and you would say Christ was preexistent from all eternity, but the Christ wasn't fully incarnated until Jesus died on the cross. And then on, on the bottom line, you would have Jesus and you'd have a point where Jesus was born. And then you would say, at this point, Jesus became the Christ and that would be at the resurrection. And so, so that in itself is a very radical idea. This is not something that, I don't know about you, I never heard anybody preach or teach about this uh, in my Southern Baptist backgrounds and certainly not in any of my sort of independent, you know, charismatic vineyard uh, church backgrounds. Uh, evangelical Christians would certainly probably most of them would be really um, nervous about, you know, a message like that or a teaching like that. That Well, what do you mean, um, first of all, that Jesus and Christ aren't the same? But as Richard Rohr says, Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. When you say Jesus Christ, you're speaking of two things. Jesus, the man from Nazareth, 
who was the teacher who was born, who lived, and who died and was resurrected. But then you also have the Christ who existed from all eternity and still exists and still fills everything in every way. But that's a whole other conversation, uh, which we'll probably have a podcast episode on that idea um, coming up. We'll dive deeper into that, some of that stuff. But um, anyway, it was it was that idea that Athanasius believed that that you know this that that Jesus went through a process of becoming the Christ, and that the Christ went through a process of becoming the incarnation or human. Um, that kind of set me down this road to see, well, wow, you know, I wanted to first of all find this quote from Athanasius, um, where this kind of came from. So here's a quote from Athanasius, and he says, The word was made flesh in order that we might be made gods. Just as the Lord putting on the body became a man, so also we men are both deified through his flesh and henceforth inherit everlasting life. For the Son of God became man so that we might become God. By the way, that's God with a capital G. He has made, sorry, continuing the quote from Athanasius, he was made human so that he might make us gods. So again, that's a radical message. And again, most Christians today would say that's not Orthodox Christianity. That's not historic Christianity, quote unquote. Um, that's, that's some kind of fringe, you know, new age uh, or heretical doctrine. It's, uh, it's blasphemy or whatever. But of course, you know, um, it's not. <laughs> it's not fringe. It's not something, you know, way out here on the margins. Um, this is, by the way, I want to just start with the Gospels. Um, and then look at some of the some of the uh, verses from uh, the other you know New Testament writings from Paul and Peter um, that kind of give support to this idea that um, God, the Son of God, became man so that we might become God, and that He was made human so that He might make us gods. Um, so in John chapter ten verse thirty three, there's a really fascinating place where the Pharisees are upset about Jesus claiming to be the son of God and they accuse him of blasphemy. And he says, uh, this is John 10, 33. Is it not written in your law that God said ye are gods? And if God called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, um, then why do you say I'm blasphemy that I say I'm the son of God? So again, Jesus doesn't deny the, the sentiment, the idea, the teaching, which he says he can find it in the Old Testament, that God says, you are gods. God speaks to humans and says, you are gods. Um, and Jesus says, yes, of course, you're gods. <laughs> and so am I. Um, Paul, 2 Corinthians 3.17, says that we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord, uh, and we are being transformed into the same image. The image of what? Of God. And then he continues in Romans eight seventeen. He says, "Now, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory." Now, again, that may not seem to be a blasphemous or a scandalous idea that we would share in the glory of God, except for the fact the Old Testament many times says that God is one, and God doesn't share His glory with anyone. And now here's Paul saying, "Actually, no. God's plan is to share His glory with us." And to share his glory with us is to make us like him. First um, John chapter 3 also says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it 
does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So again, this idea we will be like God. Um, so let's look at some other early church fathers. Uh, Irenaeus, he was from 130 to like 202 AD, so you know, just past the first century. And so an early church father. Um, and he said that... Um, God became what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. There you go. That's deification. Um, he also says, um, do we cast blame on God because we were not made gods from the beginning, but were at first created merely as men and then later as gods? Okay. Um, and so, yeah, this idea of deification or the divinization of Christian people um, was an early doctrine of the church. So people like Gregory of Nyssa and Cyril of Alexandria, and I'm going to read some other quotes, and it's these are some heavy hitters, guys. These are big names. These are not fringe, obscure church fathers. These are actually pretty much, once I, once I start reading these, and you're going to see, I'm not leaving out many when it comes to all of the major church fathers. Um, let's start with Justin Martyr. He's from 100 to 165 AD. Again, uh, just after the first century. And he says, In the beginning, men were made like God, free from suffering and death, and now are deemed worthy of becoming gods and of having power to become sons of the highest. Um, Augustine. Okay, St. Augustine, not one of my favorite church fathers by any means, but once in a while I read a quote by Augustine that makes me say, hey, he was on to something at least once in a while, uh, he tended to stray into some territory that I could say amen to. So um, Augustine says, but he himself that justifies also deifies. Now, when he says he himself, he's talking about God. So God himself justifies and also deifies, means makes us God. For by justifying, he makes sons of God. Um, and then he quotes First John 1, 12, for he has given them power to become the sons of God. If then we have been made sons of God, we have also been made gods. That's Augustine, guys. Augustine. If we have been made the sons of God, we have also been made gods. Now, he keeps on going. He says, again, this is Augustine, guys. He says, to make human beings gods, he was made man who was God. They are not born of his substance, that they should be the same as he, but that by favor they should come to him. Um, so let's read um, Clement of Alexandria uh, from 150 to 215 AD. Clement of Alexandria says, Yea, I say the word of God became a man so that you might learn from a man how to become a God. If one knows himself, he will know God, and knowing God will become like God. Oh, you know what? Let's just read that again, because there's so much in that quote. Clement of Alexandria, 150 to 215 AD says, I say the word of God became a man so that you might learn from a man how to become a God. If one knows himself, he will know God. So to know yourself is to know God. And continuing to read, he says, and knowing God will become like God. His is beauty, true beauty, for it is God. And that man becomes a God since God wills it. So Heraclitus was right when he said, men are gods and gods are men. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, these are not, these are not um, obscure people. 
Theophilus of Antioch. Now, he's probably obscure to most people. Most people haven't heard of Theophilus of Antioch, but I'm just going to read some of these because even though they might not be familiar to you, you need to understand just how many early church fathers um, fully embraced this idea of the deification of man. Theophilus of Antioch from 120 to 190 AD. He says, For if God made him immortal from the beginning, he would have made him God. Again, if he had made him mortal, God would seem to be the cause of his death. Neither then immortal, nor yet mortal did he make him, but as we have said above, capable of both, so that if he should incline to the things of immortality, keeping the commandment of God, he should receive as reward from him immortality and should become God. Hippolytus of Rome from 170 to 235 AD. He says, quote, and you shall be a companion of the deity and a co-heir with Christ, no longer enslaved by lust or passions, and never again wasted by disease, for you have become God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, Gregory of Nyssa from 335 to 395 AD. So it's a little bit later. Again, well, notice, by the way, the progression, right? We have people, we have early church fathers in, like in from 100 um, AD all the way through to almost 400. And they're all repeating the same idea, like, yes and amen, we, we agree that we are made gods. So Gregory of, Gregory of Nyssa, again, 335 to 395 AD, quote, Since the God who was manifested infused himself into perishable humanity for this purpose, that by this communion with deity, mankind might at the same time be deified, for this end it is that by dispensation of his grace, he disseminated himself in every believer. For just as he in himself assimilated his own human nature to the power of the Godhead, being a part of the common nature, but not being subject to the inclination of sin, which is in that nature, for it says, he did no, no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, that's from Isaiah. So also will he lead each person to union with the Godhead. Wow. Maximus the Confessor. He says, nothing in theosis is the product of human nature, for nature cannot comprehend God. It is only the mercy of God that has the capacity to endow theosis unto the existing. In theosis, man, the image of God, becomes likened to God. He rejoices in all the plenitude that does not belong to him by nature, because the grace of the Spirit triumphs within him, because God acts in him. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria God came down into our condition solely in order to lead us to his own divine state. Yep. So um, Gregory of Nazianzus says, Become gods for God's sake, since God became man for our sake. The Spirit of God pleads even now as man for my salvation, for he continues to wear the body which he assumed until he make me God by the power of his incarnation. Uh-huh. Uh, Basil of Caesarea, becoming a god is the highest goal of all. And I'm going to end with St. Thomas Aquinas. Again, famous church father, as orthodox as they come, not a heretic. None of these guys, they're not heretics. These are not heretics. These are church fathers who, who guided and shaped the Christian faith from the earliest centuries straight through to today. Um so St. Thomas Aquinas says, Now the gift of grace surpasses every capability of created nature, since it is nothing short of a partaking of the divine nature, which exceeds every other nature. And thus it is impossible that any creature should cause grace, for it is as necessary that God alone should deify. 
bestowing a partaking of the divine nature by a participated likeness. Um, so, yeah, essentially this idea of deification is normal. <laughs> Uh, so not only is this not heretical, this is Orthodox Christianity. Did you know that? Did you know? Have you ever, ever heard anybody communicate Christian doctrine as the idea that we will become gods, that we human beings will be deified, we will be made gods or made into God? Wow. This is amazing, isn't it? It's uh, It's mind-blowing stuff. At least to me it is. So, um, yeah, what are we to make of this, right? So I think most of the quotes that I just read from this sort of sampling of church fathers throughout church history, on the one hand, it makes clear that, yes, they did believe in this idea that that we would be made into gods. We would be made, I mean, they just flat out say it, we'll be made gods. Um. There's, but there's a lot to unpack there, right? A lot of them, and you could tell from, from some of the quotes, the idea is that Christians will be made gods. So many of them have a very, you know, still very much a separatist idea. It's Christians who who God will make like himself. It's Christians who, will, believers in Christ, who will be made like God. Not everybody. But some of the quotes um, kind of suggest the other. The idea that, you know, God became human to make humans God. And that's just humans. It doesn't say Christians. So um, there's there's a, there's that idea as well. And I guess this, this is interesting to me because um, for several reasons. You know, a while back I did a podcast episode on the Gospel of Thomas. Um, some of you may know I've been writing a weekly blog series called um, The Inner Circle on KeithChiles.com, which is my blog on Pat. Um, from Pathios, and also my Patreon supporters also get to read a little bit in advance. Um, a week, it's also a weekly blog series that I'm doing on the Gospel of Thomas. I just finished teaching a six-week course on the Gospel of Thomas uh, locally at the university, and I'm in the process of compiling these weekly um, inner circle posts that I'm doing on the Gospel of Thomas, which are the sayings of Jesus from Thomas. Um, into a book, and that'll probably be released sometime in 2020, hopefully, 2023, either late 2023 or early 2024. Um, anyway, all that to say, one of the, because of what I'm learning from the sayings of Jesus that were found in Thomas, which which really is all about our oneness with God and our connection with God, this inseparable unity, this intertwining of humanity and and Christ or between God and man. Yeah, that this is this this whole topic is really fresh on my mind. And um so I tend to personally take the view that this this idea of the deification of man, I I, I take a view one is that it's um it's not only Christians, that it's all humanity, but not all of us are aware of it, right? Um, in other words, Christ is in everyone. By the way, that's what Paul affirms. Paul says in Ephesians that Christ, uh, sorry, in Colossians, Paul says that Christ is all and is in all. And then in Ephesians, Paul says that um, we are filled with the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. Now, if you want to 
take those verses, especially that last one from Ephesians, and say, well, no, what Paul means is that Christians are filled with the fullness of Christ. Okay, but what about the rest of that sentence? Because the rest of the sentence says that Christ fills everything in every way, not just Christians. I mean, you can't fill everything in every way if you only fill one thing in one way, right? So to say that Christ fills everything in every way and we are filled with that fullness, well, then you're filled with the fullness of something that fills everything in every possible way you can imagine um, without, you know, these qualifiers. So that's where I'm leaning. That's that's what I see over and over again affirmed in the sayings of Jesus from Thomas, by the way, also in, in the New Testament. And now now I'm seeing it, you know, uh, affirmed by many of these early church fathers that they also had a concept whereby they understood that God's plan was to make humans gods or that either we already are gods or that we are, you know, growing and learning and, and um, maturing in our faith to the point that we recognize this God, this, this Godhood or this deification. Is it a process in some ways? Yes. Because, you know, if you're blind to something until your eyes are open and you, until you know it, um, you can't take advantage of it. You can't live, you can't live out of a certain reality or identity if you don't know it, if you don't have it. So having the identity, understanding it is very important for anyone to begin to walk that way, live that way, behave that way, think that way. So yes, it is a process. Um, I, I would say it's a process of learning and maturing and growing and understanding. Um, but whether you understand it or not, to whatever degree you do or don't understand it, I would argue we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And that would mean that then we are deified. Now I probably should do another episode coming up on this question because this, that concept leads to this net to the next one, which is what I just said. Um, this idea of saying we are gods, right? And so again, that's what Jesus affirms. Jesus even reminds the Jewish leaders in the gospel of John, Hey, your own scriptures, you know, contain the fact that God said to your ancestors, you are gods. And so why are you shocked that I say I'm the son of God? But understanding that to be made the son of God is to be like God and to be like God is to be deified. And so again, the challenge for a lot of us being raised from a very specific evangelical Christian way of thinking, we still have a really hard time separating. Well, Sorry, I should say that we have a hard time with the concept that we're not separated from God. That That's what we have a hard time with. Um, because what we tend to do reflexively, even if we don't think we're doing it, even if we say, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Even if I say, oh, I don't believe there's any separation between us and God. Okay, that's good. But even though we say that, we will still talk to God as if God is up there somewhere without really stopping to say, well, no, God is in here with me and always has been and, and never will not be. Right. I am there is I have an inseparable connection with Christ. You know, what will ever separate you from the love of God? Uh, height, depth, angels, demon, the future, the past, even death. No, nothing will ever separate you uh, from the love of God. And then, you know, this over and over again, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right. Uh, there's this over and over and over again. It's affirms like so you cannot escape God. You are in God. You are swimming in God. 
um, God, and, and, and I would say God is swimming in you. Here's a radical idea, right? When Paul says to the auto-worshipping pagans in Athens that God is the one or Christ is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, then I would argue it's also true that God that we are the ones in whom God lives and moves and has God's being. Because there is this inseparable connection between us and God. Now, this is very difficult for us to wrap our brains around. We quite often still want to think of God as the God, the ultimate supreme being, creator, um, who pre-existed all creation, who lives in, up there in this unapproachable light. And then down here are these little humans that he made uh, down here in creation. And that we still imagine sort of a gulf. We imagine a separation. We imagine a difference. And so this is why when we say we are gods, speaking of humans or ourselves, there's a there's a disconnect, right? There's an error message in our brain that says, whoa, hold on a minute. What What do you mean? What do you mean? No, I'm not. I'm not that God over there. But see, the minute you start thinking about that God over there, you are you have a separation mindset because you're thinking about a being over there. You're not thinking about a being who is in who's who's a being, and we're talking about God. This being who is inseparably interwoven with your being, and your being and Christ's being or God's being are inseparable. I mean, you do not exist apart from God. You can't, nothing can, nothing in the universe can exist apart from this connection with God. And so even this idea of like, you know, being separated from God, that's impossible. That just isn't possible. Nothing exists apart from God, nothing. And so everything exist because of God, right? And again, this says this in John, it says, Paul says this, that all things were created by him, for him, and through him, and, and that Christ is the one who holds all things together, right? So the challenge for most of us is imagining it. We can't draw it on a napkin. We can't, I've tried, actually. <laughs> in fact, just the other day, I literally, this, I'm writing my book, and, um, and I can't show it to you on the podcast, but uh, I have a napkin sitting right here on the desk next to me, and um, I was trying to conceptualize this idea where Jesus says, you know, in that day you will realize that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you. Um, but I see, I think if we really understood that statement, if we understood in what ways that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you, then I could actually say to you, get ready, this is going to sound scary, it's going to sound weird, but but... I'm dead serious. I think this is what it means. In the same way that Jesus could say to you and me, in that day you will know that I am the Father and the Father is in me and I am in you. I could say to you, my listeners, in that day you will realize that Keith is in the Father and the Father is in Keith and Keith is in you and you are in Keith. And you are in the Father and the Father is in you and Keith is in you and you are in Keith. And everybody else. So see what I'm saying? It's not just, it's these, it's sort of like we have to walk through these layers of progression of understanding. You can't, I don't believe we can just jump from where we are now straight to these concepts. We have to slowly walk our way through it. And it's sort of like step one, understand your personal oneness with God, right? I think that's why Jesus starts there. In that day, you realize that I'm in the Father, the Father's in me and I'm in you. Okay, good. 
but I'm still thinking about only me, that I'm in Jesus. Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, and I am in Jesus, or Jesus is in me. But if you get that, then you have to then say, well, wait a minute. It's not, am I the only one who is in Christ? Is Christ am I the only one that Christ is in, in that, it, that Christ dwells within? Well, of course not. It, everyone is in Christ, and Christ dwells in everyone. Okay. So if I enjoy this incredible, inseparable oneness um, with Christ, where you can't tell where I end and Christ begins, then that's true of you too, and all humanity. And that means that all humanity is one with one another, which is what Jesus prays in the Gospel of John. He says, he prays, Father, that we would be one, meaning humanity, that we would be one in the same way that he and the Father are one. Go look it up. It's mind-blowing stuff. And so I know it's it's these progressions of ideas, but I think if we fully understand the incarnation, if we fully understand the implications of us being in Christ and Christ being in us, if we fully understand the implications of that level of oneness, then and we understand then it forces us to then rethink our own existence and our own identity and our own humanity, because what does it mean now for me to say I am in Christ and Christ is in me? That that takes some time to meditate on and to really settle into. But once you understand that, then you then you can understand your connection with the rest of humanity. Right? You start doing the math. You start going, oh, if okay, well then it, if that's true, then this is true. Right? And then it just slowly walks us down the road of of real of one realization, one eye-opening moment after another. And then the things that we just talked about in this in this episode. When we read these quotes of these church fathers where they're talking about how God became human so that humans can become God. Well, then you read this and you say, well, of course. <laughs> how can I be connected to Christ and not be God? You know, uh, like where, where does God end and I begin? In other words, as long as we, I, I, let's say it this way, the part of us that is confused, the part of us that rejects these ideas, and just think about it. Test what I'm about to say and see if this is true. That the part of you that that bristles at this or that is nervous about this or just isn't comfortable with this, it I would say it boils down to simply this. You are still thinking from a separation mindset. You still imagine a separation between yourself and God or something separate between Christ and yourself. And as long as you have that separation mindset, that's why that's the first thing that has to be, that's the first sort of um, lock that has to be turned, the key that has to be inserted, and the door that has to be opened. We first have to fully embrace and understand what does it mean to say we are not separated from God. To fully understand this idea, of, uh, another way it's expressed is this non-duality. There is no, as Paul says in Galatians, by the way, he says it in Galatians, which is one of the first letters he ever wrote, and he says it in Colossians, which is one of the final letters that he probably didn't even write it. Actually, one of his followers probably wrote it. But we do believe that these were the sayings of, uh, of, of Paul, the teachings of Paul, probably written by one of his followers after he died. Same for Ephesians. Um, but anyway, Paul says this in Galatians, and he repeats it in his first letter, and he repeats it again in his last letter of Colossians. And he says it twice. And he says it. So, it, so he understood this um, early on, and then I think later on in Colossians, he kind of fully fleshed it out. But what he says is he, he's talking about this idea of no separation, right? 
He says, in the body of Christ, now there is no Jew or Gentile. There's no Jew and Gentile. No, that, that, those, that distinction, that religious distinction, that ethnic distinction, it's gone. There's no slave or free, that economic distinction. That's, that's, no, that's obliterated. There's no male and female. Oh my gosh. Gender, physical bodies. No, that, that is, that, that is obliterated. That vanishes. Once you understand the reality of Christ. Once you understand the reality of Christ, the more the the minute you can finally begin to have your eyes open to see and accept the truth that those separations, those divisions, those lines of separation, doesn't matter what it is, Jew, Gentile, old, young, male, female, slave, free, gay, straight, pick anything you want. Any any um perception of an us and them and that applies to humans and it applies to God. That idea of a separation is an illusion. It isn't real. And you, and as long as you think it's real, as long as you behave as if it's real, as long as you resist the idea that there is no separation, then you are always going to struggle with these concepts. I think these are the, these are the deeper things of Christ that, that Paul talks about where he says, you know, I, I wanted to teach you the deeper things but you're not ready for it yet. You're still, uh, you're still on the milk, right? And, and so I'm still having to continue to feed you milk because you haven't moved on to the deeper things. Uh, to me, this is one of the deeper things. You know, like, like Peter had to see this vision three times, right, of the unclean animals and God saying, kill and eat. He says, no, I can't do that. And finally, God says to Peter, don't call something unclean if I've said it's clean. And the point is there is nothing unclean. There is nothing unclean. There is no unclean person. There's no unclean idea. There's no unclean, uh, there's no us, them, good, bad, dark, light, right? There's just humanity. There are different expressions of the same Christ everywhere, but all of it is the one Christ. And so anyway, I know this is a whole lot to throw at you, uh, especially right here uh, in the final episode of, uh, of this year. But anyway, I just find it so fascinating. And I guess to, I want to end by saying at least that these ideas, this idea, let's just stick with the deification of humanity, okay? Which was the, that was the topic of the podcast. This teaching, this idea that God became human so that humans can become God is not heresy. It's not false teaching. It's not a new age doctrine. It's in the gospels. Jesus says it. It's in the writings of Paul. Paul affirms it. It's in the church fathers ranging from Justin Martin and Irenaeus all the way to Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas and everything in between. And so this is Christian doctrine, friends. This is Christianity 101. You don't get any more Christian than this teaching of the deification of man. And yet, in modern times, this has become, you know, off limits. We can't talk about this. We need to pretend that this doesn't exist. We we don't want to talk about this this idea that we are gods. We don't want to talk about this idea that 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 God makes us into makes humans into gods. We don't like that. We don't want that, right? We want to do what? We want to maintain a separation between us and Christ. In fact, this is part of the thing too: is making Jesus so unique that He is so different from us, we could never ever be like like Jesus. When Jesus says, actually, not only will you be like me, you will surpass me. You'll do even greater things than I have done. 
So everything that's true of Christ is true of you. Again, Paul affirms this over and over again. My goodness, it's all through the writings of Paul. Paul says because Christ was um uh because Christ died, we all die. Because uh Christ was raised from the dead, we've all been raised from the dead. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are all seated at the right hand of the Father. Everything that is true of Christ is true of you, not will be true of you. It is now. It is already right now true of you. And we are the incarnation of Christ in the world. I've said this many times in other episodes, and it needs to be said again and again until we get it. Christ has no body now but yours. Whatever you are doing in the world right now is what Christ is doing. And whatever Christ is doing in the world right now is whatever Christ is doing through you and me, period. There is no other possible way for Christ to act and move in the world because Christ's only body now is yours and mine. And every other person in the world who recognizes and realizes and understands and accepts fully embraces the idea that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Christ in me, the hope of glory. The thing that all creation is groaning for, Paul says in Romans, is what? For the sons and daughters of God to be revealed, to wake up and, and get it, to realize, ah, I am Christ in the world today. Yes, exactly. Now again, not you separately special and only you, because that's separation. But you uh, are a part of Christ, a unique expression of the reality of Christ in your life, in your body, in your mind, in your sphere of influence, in your community, in all your connections. And, and, and you are Christ to your world. You are Christ to your family to your neighborhood, to your to your coworkers, to your sphere of influence. You are Christ to them. And um so yeah, I think there's it's it's just a powerful concept if we could really get it. Um I think it's really the only thing that's going to save the world. Cuz until until imagine if the whole world, imagine if every human being on this planet fully understood number 1 their absolute instantaneous, automatic connection to Christ or God, however you want to think of it. But if number one, everyone understood, they they don't need to fight to be connected to God. They don't have to work for this sort of atonement or reconciliation with God because God was in Christ, not counting our sins against us, but reconciled the world to himself. So the world, guess what? The world is reconciled to God. Okay, so if every every human being born on this planet could come out of the box, basically, understanding and affirming that. I am one with God. I am reconciled with God, number one. And then number two, understood, I am connected to every single person on this planet because God is in me and God is in every single human being alive on this planet. If we could start there, it makes it impossible for you to exploit your neighbor or your or, or your friend or even your enemies. Why? Because everyone has the same Christ in them, and you can't get it. You can't escape it. You cannot escape the, the the gaze of Christ, the presence of Christ, the touch of Christ, the voice of Christ. Because the Christ that's in you is in every human being on the planet, and so it would empower us. It would enable the human race to finally say, "I can't go to war because I'd be killing myself. I'd be killing Christ. I can't do that." I, I couldn't. I couldn't drive by a a person begging for food, or or needing shelter or clothing or, or anything like that. Because why? That's Christ. That's me, right? That's 
that that is Christ and me and 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 all wrapped up in one. We are all one. We're all connected. And this so this this realization of our oneness with God and and everyone else. Um, I think it's the missing piece. I think it's what we have to understand so that we really can live out the teachings of Jesus. Really, I mean, the only way you can love your enemy is if you look at your enemy and you see yourself or see Christ or both. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I know that, like I said, that's a lot to digest for a lot of you. I hope, though, it's helpful. And I, again, I hope you have enjoyed Second Cup with Keith. Thank you for listening to the podcast. By the way, I also should say, um, as, as I'm closing out here, I do two other podcasts as well. Now, this was the safe one. Uh, believe it or not, Second Cup with Keith is the safe one because we don't use bad language here. We don't have uh, we don't have off color jokes um, and things like that. So, um, if you're offended by, you know, the f bomb or any other sort of salty language, then you probably don't want to listen to my other podcast. If you, those things don't bother you so much, then you might enjoy listening to um, and it's my, my co-hosts um, for the other podcast. Heretic Happy Hours when I started with my friend uh, Matthew DiStefano um, and another friend of mine, Jamal, years ago. Jamal has moved on. So it's uh, it's now me and Matthew DiStefano and it's Katie Valentine, Shauna Ja, and the Summer Rose. And um, we have a lot of fun over there. So if you're curious about what I'm doing, when I'm not doing this podcast, uh, you can check out Heretic Happy Hour. And the other one is Apostates Anonymous. Again, Matthew DiStefano and myself uh, do that one together. We have a lot of fun um, on that podcast as well. So, um, yeah, if you, if in between episodes of second cup with Keith, you're looking for whatever else I'm doing in the podcast world, check those out. But again, little warning, you might be offended if you're easily offended. So, um, don't say I didn't warn you. And, uh, anyway, I hope you had a good year. I did. I had a really good year. I'm excited for the year to come. Um, lots of new things are coming and, uh, I hope you will continue to, uh, make time, make it a point, make, make it an appointment to sit down with me uh, every other week and enjoy a second cup with Keith. And uh, I do appreciate you all so much. Thank you for listening.